Welcome to West Quasset Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westquassettchapel.com. Good morning. Um, if you have a Bible, Romans 11 is where we're going to be, and I think, and beginning in verse 23. I was just thinking as we sang the last song that, and I was thinking to, to God, it's like I've, you know, five decades of my life, I've had the privilege of doing what we do Sunday by Sunday. It's just sometimes it is overwhelming, and it's just, it is the greatest part of my life to be in this context. So, um, yeah, I was thinking, God. Verse 23, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And after all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. That's just so beautiful. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And again, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things. To God be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray a couple of lines from two hymns. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For you are our God, and we are your people, the sheep of your hand. And then another, when we see you as you are, we will praise you as we should. Father, now please give us the grace to see you as you are, as your word is preached, and may that grace continue on as a life as you have given us continues to unfold for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, isn't there something lovely and refreshing about the Apostle Paul's words here as he, as he writes down at the very end the awareness of just how magnificent and how majestic and how stunningly great God is? And isn't there something equally, I think, something lovely and honest and refreshing about the Holy Spirit, the power which is behind Paul's pen here? To, to break out, beginning with Paul, in immediate and overwhelming praise of just how magnificent and majestic and stunningly great God is. 
And all the praise here is based not on some kind of idle notion, not some kind of like private religious hunch, but praise based on exact and overwhelming truth about God, specifically God's glorious plan to save people like me who, who would not know except by his mercy they need to be saved. And, and when the same God, by his grace, saves us, we know that we don't deserve to be saved and we grow to know that without God, we're just like a guide to our own personal destruction. So it's one thing to talk nice about someone. And, and by golly, I think we would really benefit from that kind of speech to each other in, in the current climate and culture that we're in. But it's altogether something different when praise is directed to God. Indeed, the praise of God is what we were made for. It's why we exist. The worship of God is our highest self in action. The best we can be. The psalmist, Psalm 73, there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. I mean, how do you, how do you wrap your mind around that? Listen to Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. I, I don't, right now, I don't think I really know what that means. My body longs for God. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. Listen to this one. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. (laughs) The worship of God is our highest self in action. In other words, when we're our truest self as Christians... We are praising, worshiping, honoring God for his incalculable goodness, his unsearchable mind, and his unending grace. Listen to Professor Leland Riken. Listen to what he says. In praise, we try to come to the end of God, the end of his love, but we never, ever quite get there. And it's a joyous journey. (laughs) Isn't that good? We never, ever quite get there. And I wonder if he was thinking about verse 36 when he wrote, um, when he wrote that quote. You see at verse 36, to God be the glory forever, amen, or so be it, or agreed upon. So ask yourself this question. Have we, have you ever pressed the limits of, of our finite mind to infinite glory directed to God forever? Just, just think about that. So bear with me. It's, it's late Friday night. And you write down on paper or put it in your phone. Think about how good and gracious and giving and forgiving God is. And do that until you can't. Right? Until you've exhausted your mental capacity about the greatness of God. You see, because literally verse 36 reads like this. Glory in every eon to God. Dioxo eon, glory for an unlimited amount of time in all sequences of time, before time, in time, after time, forever to God. Now think of it like this. When I was a kid, 
I would listen to music in my room alone, <laughs> which is the only sad part of the story. But anyway, and I would listen to music and I would say to myself, if I really like the song, one more time, right? And so I had a boom box or, or, a, or a Walkman and I would push the button again and I get to play it what? One more time, right? And then I would do that over and over again, uh, maybe on a Friday night. One more time, one more time. And I still do it now, but it's even better because now there's a little portion of the song that I really like. You know what to do. You, you, you get on the progress bar and you slide the thing back and you hit replay and bam, one more time. So the song ends or the part ends and I like it, like it, like it. One more time. And if I said one more time too loud when I was a kid, I can remember my parents saying something like, Joe, will you just stop, you know? Get a girlfriend or something like that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's funny to me. Sorry. One more time. So when it comes to God, it is always appropriate to say one more time. One more time. That's verse 36. And of course, it's beyond music. So, so hold that in your mind as you think about what we've learned in these three chapters about the reality and the necessity of divine sovereignty in the salvation for the Jewish people and for the Gentile people. I mean, you think about it, it's stunning, it's encouraging. You, you God, you take the rejection of one people, your chosen people, as a means to save everyone else. So at the very end, what does Paul say? To God be the glory forever. Glory to God in every eon, in every age, forever and ever and ever. It just doesn't stop. One more time. One more time. One more time. And there is nothing out of place at that, of that at all. There, there, is, there is no unsuitable time. And there will never be an unsuitable time to give God... The glory do his name. Luther, God is loving and kind by nature. Therefore, he cannot keep, keep himself from giving us abundant gifts. He gives us homes and families, healthy bodies, wisdom, skill, talents, knowledge of the scriptures, salvation. Without God's gifts, our lives would be miserable. Now, that's true. And if you think about it, physically, we cannot do, right now, we cannot do glory forever. Not in this flesh. So, so some of the fullness and some of the beauty of, of, if you would, the one more time of worship, it escapes us. But there's coming a day when it won't. And that day then will be the day when our full potential is realized. And our full potential realized is forever Glory to God. Now, just think about that. That's us at our best. World without end. And by the way, Paul does this kind of thing here often. So he does it in Romans four times when he says some great theological truth about God. And then he just goes into doxology. But listen to one of my favorite times he does it. It's in 1 Timothy 1.12. We know this. He's, he's kind of writing like a mini bio of his Christian life. And he says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, don't ever forget this. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his his immense patience as an example for all those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, I'm just going to stop for a second. What can a person who believes that to be true, what can a person say after that kind of grace? What can you say? Well, I can tell you what you don't say. You don't say, well, what what has God done for you? Well, nothing good. This is what he says. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory. There it is. (laughs) Deoxy, ion us, forever and ever, eon after eon, in every stage in life, and eternal life, forever and ever and ever. Amen. And what Christian saint, knowing that to be true, because that's my life. I see those words. That's why I like the scripture so much. I was such a jerk before Christ. Still am sometimes, but you know what I'm saying. Christ saves sinners. I am the worst sinner that I know. And I was shown me. I was shown in me. In the worst of sinners. Grace. Okay, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, doesn't that make sense? Isn't that so rational? That's when we get to Romans 12. That's part of Paul's argument. This all makes so much sense. To give God everything in your life, it all makes sense. Now, remember what he's driving here is the rejection of Jesus in his gospel by the majority of Jewish people in the first century. That's this whole argument that began in chapter 9. So let's just walk through it briefly. Why is it that the people best positioned to recognize their Messiah failed to recognize their Messiah? And that's still true today, by, by the way. The, the Pew Research, the latest numbers, in, in we'll just say in the nation of Israel right now, there's only 2% of the population that, which identifies itself as Christian. Okay? So it's still true today. So the Apostle Paul answers that question. The argument is just like this. Has God rejected his people forever? Answer, no. You see it in verse 2 of chapter 11. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Okay, then another question. In, in what sense has he not rejected them? Given that so people embrace him and embrace the gospel. Answer, well, there's a remnant. Verses 4 and 5. There's a remnant of Jews who follow Jesus now who have been converted. How is that possible? Verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. In other words, it's grace. Okay, another question. But why is it that the majority of Jews do not follow the Christ? And Paul gives three answers. And one, they would rather try to earn their own salvation through works of the law. That's chapter 10, verse 3. Do you see it there? Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's answer number one. Answer number two in verse eight of chapter 11. God has given them over to unbelief for, for an unspecified period of time. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Answer number three, amazingly, but, but it's reasonable, their rejection served for the salvation, the progress of the gospel to the Gentile world. That's God's plan, verse 8. Through their trespasses, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now just, just hold that for a minute. You see, okay, you want to make a personal application, you want to make a congregational application, let's do it. 
Just as God took the bad things from his people's life and he makes them good. That's a promise of Romans 8, 28. Just as God takes the bad things that happen in the life of the church and he turns them to good. God takes the, the rejection of his own people, flips it, and saves the world with it. Question, will this go on forever, this rejection of the Jewish people? Answer, no. Verse 11, do you see it there? The conversion and the blessing of the Gentiles will eventually make the Jews, Jewish people jealous. And they will be awakened to their need of Jesus Christ. Romans 11, 11, through, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Or verse 13 of chapter 11, I magnify my ministry, Paul says, in order to somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. Verse 24 of chapter 11, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own? with me question okay then what will be the effect upon the world now think upon the world of the eventual conversion of the jewish people answer it will invite not only a massive flood of gentiles conversion but it will eventually have this massive flood of jewish people being brought into the kingdom of god being brought into the church of jesus christ how do we know verse 12 now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their fallen failure, excuse me, means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? You get what he's saying? You take them and you take us. Think of it. Just think of it. Verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconcil- reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? In other words, think about this grand day that's coming, that's promised. Okay, so then we say, when is that day coming? That's the next question, right? Okay, verse 25, there's your answer. Sometime near the end of the Gentile mission, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Remember, we talked about that last. We don't know exactly when that's coming, but we will know the fullness of that when the thing has actually happened. And when this takes place, takes place the, the promise, this is what Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says. I will pour out on the house of David And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for only an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. That's just so beautiful. And loved ones, this is what that means. It means that all those Old Testament prophecies about the worldwide expansion of the, or the triumph of the gospel, that is still the promise, that is still the hope, and that day is coming. Now, think with me. Despite being ordained by God, this whole plan, uh, the failure of the Jewish people to, to recognize their Messiah, Despite it being part, part of God's plan, preordained, foreknowledge, however you want to say it, predestined, it was terribly upsetting both to Jesus and to Paul. Okay, so, so sovereignty doesn't, doesn't dry up the heart. Okay? It doesn't dry up the heart. I was thinking about this. It's like in Romans 7. So Paul has been giving us six and a half chapters of gospel goodness and grace. And then in seven, he says, you know, I I know I should be good. But I'm not always good. And I'm hurting about that. 
See, he knows gospel, he knows grace, but he, and he knows he's forgiven, but he still hurts because he's not always good. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. That's good. He's actually giving us a lot of insight into his very psyche, if you think about it. And then he doesn't end there. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation. So that's what Paul does here. He knows the plan. But chapter 9, verse 3, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You see, again, God's sovereignty, God's preordained plan doesn't turn Paul cold. Doesn't turn Paul cold. And what about Jesus? Jesus knew, and this is what Luke 19 says about Jesus. And when he drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it. I mean, were those fake tears? Were they fake tears? He knows the plan. Were they fake tears? Is this theater for us? No, they were real. He wept over it saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day, the things that would make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. All right, so just ask yourself the question, will God lie down in defeat by all history because of man's will? Is that how powerful men and women's wills are? Is it superior to God's will? No. Paul is pointing to a time, a blessed day, that when all the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and then God lifts the veil and then there's going to be this enormous life from the dead of his own people. That's, that's point one. That is the mystery which has now been made known. And verse 25 wants it to humble us, right? So that we won't come become conceited. I mean, honestly, I look through that and it's, it's, sometimes it's plain as rain as far as the plan and I'm like, what's the problem? Where's the argument? The only argument is in what? When it happens. Really? Second word, mercy, verse 28. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. And what is Paul doing? He's just simply repeating the same things he's been saying. The Jews have rejected God's son. They've rejected God's son as the sole means of their salvation. They are enemies of God. Verse 28 continues, as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Now, if you think about that, some of us know, know people exactly like this. They are our enemies. They are the enemies of our father, but we love them for the sake of their father. Right? That, that makes sense to me. So there's no contradiction here. This is a real thing that people experience, even in human relationships. I love you because of your dad, not because of you. And that's what Paul is saying here about God. Verse 28. We know then, as Gentiles, we know that what's true about the Jewish people. There's no special case here. It's true about us. What does Ephesians 2 say? We were by nature. We walked into this world children of wrath, enemies of God. But God, right? But God, but God in his great mercy, Ephesians 2 says, with which he has loved us, raised up us up together with Christ. See, no, tr- no contradiction. Mercy to them, mercy to us. And that's staggering. Look at Paul. The gifts and the calling of God, verse 29, are ir- irrevocable. In other words, God's not giving up on his people. God is full of mercy. Take take that to you. You have people. You have people who it looks like it's all is lost. God's not giving up on them. 
Just like God didn't give up on you. And God's not giving up on his own people. And that's the logic of verse 30. Do you see it there? God is full of mercy. Okay, you Gentiles, you were disobedient. And God was not looking, you know, to find some goodness in you so he could show you mercy. There was no goodness in you. No, you received mercy. And then God imputed his goodness to you. Verse 30, it's the same for the Jewish people. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, the Jewish people's disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. You know what he's saying? God will open the eyes of his ancient people. They, they will see in jealousy of all the things. They will see in jealousy that is created in them how the gospel is triumphing in the Gentile world. They'll finally see it. And that all the promises of the Old Testament scriptures, they're ours, they're yours, they're mine right now. And we've come to enjoy them. I hope we've come to enjoy them. And those of the family of Abraham, the Jewish people will look on and say, why is that family enjoying the promises that, that are really ours? Let's take those promises for ourselves. And someone will come and preach to them. That's, that's Romans 10. And someone will say, you know, there's only one door into the treasure house of God and it is faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one door into the treasure house of God. It is faith in Jesus Christ. And they will say, then we will come to faith in Jesus Christ. We want the promises. We need a savior. And you see, God has not gone back on his promise to Abraham that in his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now just, just think, does, does God speak and then not act? Does God promise and then not fulfill? Is God faithful? The picture that Paul is giving us, which I think is so clear, is the gospel marvelously triumphing in the world. The church being the church and people actually seeing what it means to be a Christian. There is something winsome about a good Christian life, right? A rational, honest Christian life. It's so attractive. Why don't you worry about that? Why are, why are you not usually mean most of the time? Why, why are you so forgiving? Why, why do you seem so stable? Why? It's Jesus. All of it is because of God. Paul's confidence here is in God. All his hope here is in God. Dioxai eon. Glory to God forever. Now look how Paul ties it up there at the end there at verse 30. I mean, verse 30 is essentially, um, um, verse, yeah, verse 32, excuse me, is essentially a summary of the entire epistle of Romans thus far. For verse 30, God has bound everyone to disobedience. That's what we, what we all are. That's the argument of beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. No one is righteous. No, not one. Let's just get that taken care of. Nobody's good enough for God. Every mouth is shut, Romans 3.19. The whole world is held guilty before God. Whether you are a Jewish person or a Gentile person, guilty, guilty, guilty. That's the baseline by which then he begins to build the gospel on. 
But wonder upon wonders, again, verse 30, God has bound everyone to disobedience, right? Disobedient Gentile, disobedient Jewish person. You and I disobedient in order that he might have mercy on them all. And I, I would just add that in order that we might see how much mercy we really need. And the context bears this out. So, so verse 32 and 33 is telling us God is not showing preference of Gentile over Jewish person or Jewish person over Gentile. God's mercy is coming to all in God's time. Okay, so God's mercy is coming to all, not all people without exception. This isn't universalism, right? Not all people without exception, but all people without distinction, Jewish person or Gentile person. Just, just for a second, if you just parachuted into verse 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on them all, and you just didn't think about the context, what would you think? Everybody's going to be saved. It's going to happen. No, that's not it. All people without exception, no. All people without distinction, yes. Yes. And so what God is going to do, he's going to bring completion to what Jesus died to do, right? God is going to bring into completion what Jesus died to do, to bring Jewish person and Gentile person together in that one body, the body of Christ, his church. One body, the body of Christ, his church. Now, if you have a mind like Paul, no wonder he just breaks out in doxology. I mean, he just breaks out in praise. And, and someone might say, but that makes the Jews a special case. That's a problem for me. It shouldn't be. Because Paul is saying here that at the moment, the Gentiles, we Gentiles are a special case. And you see, until the coming of Christ to the earth and his rejection leading to the cross, it was the time of the Jewish people, Right? They were the special case. They had favor, the patriarchs, all the things that Paul says in Romans 2 and other places. But in Abraham's seed, now, can you believe it? They're rejecting the very seed itself, Jesus Christ. And so now is the time, if you would, for the Gentiles. But the time is coming when God in his amazing providence will say, there are no longer any special cases. That sounds like Alice in Wonderland, right? All are special cases. God is the God of all people, yes. God is the God of his chosen people, yes. And you see, throughout the Old Testament and into, into the New, God was determined that he would not be defeated by the Gentiles and keeping his promise to Abraham that, his, that in his seed, Christ, the nations of the earth would be blessed. So ask yourself this question. In the Old Testament, how many nations of the earth were blessed through Abraham's seed in the days of the Old Testament? How, how many were savingly blessed? Not one. Not one. Okay, so just think. There was a world where not one Gentile nation, if you would, was savingly blessed. But God was not defeated in his promise. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It is happening. It's happening now. And now Paul is saying to us, nor will God be defeated by his own chosen people and, and, and their rejection. He's going to use their rejection, if you would, as a way to save the world. Okay, so just think. They killed the author of their salvation. 
They killed the author of their salvation. But that was part of God's plan to eventually save his chosen people. Do you know this Christmas song? Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransom from the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Where did that come from? It came from Romans 11. Loved ones, take this in deeply. God's promise to Abraham being fulfilled is this. There will not be a nation. There will not be a people group under the sun in which the triumph of the gospel will not be seen. Just think about that. This is not no minimal triumph, but maximum triumph. Think and ask yourself, what kind of world will that be like? Doesn't sound bad to me. Doesn't sound bad to me. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom and power and love. Our God is an awesome God. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. And that is a mercy. Now quickly, majesty, and we're going to take a little time next Sunday to finish this out, but, but when you read then verse 33, knowing all the things that we've just said and, and reminded ourselves of, I mean, personally, I feel like verse 33 to the end is like sacred ground, and I'm just too filthy to preach this, because it's clear where all this ends. Where does it all end? All glory is God's. That's where it ends. All glory is God. So, so all the glory of missions is God's. And all the glory of preaching and writing is God's. And all the, then the, the glory of salvation is God's. And ask yourself, would you want it any other way? Would you want it any other way? Verse 33 the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God are, are incomprehensibly deep. There's no bottom to the wisdom of God and no bottom to his knowledge. He is deep in the sense that all his wisdom and all his knowledge are out of our sight, uh, unreachable. We can't go that low and we, we can't go that high. Therefore, we live by faith. He is finite. We are not we will always be seen more of God forever and ever. There's no place in our Christian pilgrimage where we say, I know it all, I've arrived. No. And that's verse 33b. How unsearchable are God's judgments and his paths beyond un untraceable. In other words, since God's riches and God's wisdom and God's knowledge are very, very deep so that we can't give him anything he doesn't have or tell him, he doesn't, uh, tell him something that he doesn't know, it is right and it leads us to worship, to wonder, to be mystified, to be baffled, to be perplexed. Sometimes even disoriented and amazed by the ways of God and the judgments of God. Which leads Paul to say what he says in verse 34. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? In other words, not only can we not get to the bottom of God, 
We can't even give him advice. (laughs) No matter how far down into God's wealth, no matter how far down into God's wisdom or God's knowledge we go, we can never get to the bottom. And then the truth there is verse 35. Who is that? Who's ever given to God that God should repay them? Answer, nobody. I mean, Paul would say it in 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you didn't receive? So you can't give to God anything that's not already his. If you could, you would owe, he would owe you, but you, but you can't. So he doesn't owe us anything which means everything from God to us is grace. Are you comfortable with that? Verse 36, all things are from him and through him are all things. In other words, God knows all the events of life at a macro level. Now think, all the happenings on earth, in the atmosphere, in the farthest reaches of space, in the universe, which is still expanding So macro level and then a micro level, all that happens in the molecules and the atoms and the electrons and protons, every moment of every person and every location, every nanosecond, every condition of every element in the universe, at every nanosecond, God knows. He knows all events that happen in human minds and human wills, all the thoughts, all the choices, all the feelings that you're feeling right now. He knows every event that has ever happened and will ever happen at every level, a physical level, a mental level, a volitional level, a spiritual level, every level. When one event happens, he sees it, but he also sees Even though he's ordained it, he also sees the eternal chain of effects that flow from our one decision. From all the billions of events that are all unleashed in the planet by billions and billions of humans. And how every one of those events are coming to one ultimate purpose. And he does it without the slightest strain of his mind. And this is where we'll close. And if it's true then that all the treasures and all the wisdom and all the knowledge are, are hidden in Christ Jesus. And Colossians 2 says that's true. Okay, so, so the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, is the creator of all created reality. John 1, 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that has been made. If that's true, and if it's true that Christ then is sustainer of all created reality, again, Colossians, he is before all things and in him holds all things together. And if it's true that all created reality is for the sake of making Christ known and loved, and it's true all things were created for Christ, stay with me, therefore, all knowledge and all wisdom and all riches originate in Christ and are held in existence by Christ and are for the purpose of making Christ known. Therefore, Christ is the final and ultimate meaning of all reality, okay? All of reality ultimately finds its fullest meaning in the person of Jesus Christ. That means that nothing can be fully or rightly known anywhere in your life, anywhere in the world, anywhere in the church, anywhere in the Bible that is not known in relation to Jesus Christ, his gospel, our need of a savior, and therefore his salvation. And that's why Paul ends 
like he does here. And so we're going to end, if you would, I'm so long, I apologize, but one more time. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how, how his paths are beyond tracing out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should, be, God should repay them? For from God and through God and to God are all things to God be the glory forever. Just bear with me. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said, if you've ever extended your capacity to worship God, right, you just, just to the, to you just can't do it no more anymore. That's what we've done here. I hope you feel tired a little bit in the mind. Because we've gone places where we needed to go. The Bible has taken us there and we have been stretched. And, and the best thing maybe that I could ask from God is that we walk out of here going, oh, God, oh, God, maybe not, oh, God, but oh, God. It's what we were made to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for the patience of your people, but thank you for this, this word. Staggering you are, merciful you are, mighty you are, wonderful you are, majestic you are, so loving, so giving, so forgiving, so beautiful. Maybe I know a little bit more now what it means for my body to long for you. You are beautiful beyond description. You are too marvelous for words. You are so good. And you've been good, God, forever and ever and ever, world without end. Can you capture the minds of this, your church, and capture the minds of all your people everywhere to this wonderful truth so that we can honestly frame our life within it and live honestly, God, better than ever before to the praise of your glory. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for your time this morning. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening this week. If you were helped or encouraged by this sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquestatchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in his church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.